I invite you to remain standing and turn with me in God's Word to Luke chapter 11. If you're using one of the church's Bibles, you'll find that on page 870. Our our passage today is verses 27 through 36, but I'm going to just start with the middle section, verses 29 through 32, and then we'll come back and read the outside sections. So let's just start with Luke chapter 11, verses 29 to 32. Beloved saints, this is God's word. Let us give the attention it deserves. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will also rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Let's just stop there for now and ask God's blessing on our time in his word. Your word, O Lord, is a lamp to our feet. It is our guide through the dark. Your word is the wisdom and truth that we follow every day. It's sweeter than honey and yet sharper than swords. It is healing and it is justice and it is ours to obey. Your word is our understanding of your grace, your peace, and your love. And that's the reason we draw near to it. And so we ask that you would speak through it to us this morning. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I wonder if you ever had one of those days in school where your teacher sort of dropped his or her guard and talked about something that was clearly uh, and personally significant. It didn't happen a lot, but I can remember several times growing up and going to school um, when something happened. Maybe it was a national tragedy. Maybe it was a personal tragedy. Or just something would come up and the teacher would slow down and just give one of those, here's what's really important in life talks. Maybe there would be tears or just a slow, thoughtful pace that let you know that this was different. This wasn't school. It was so much more important than that. And yet it seems like every time that happened, there would always be someone in class totally out of touch with life and what's important who would raise their hand and ask, is this going to be on the final? In other words, do, do I need to make notes or can I check out? And then two things would inevitably happen. First, all the other students would sort of glare. And the teacher would just sort of look confused and self-conscious and seem to be thinking, what? I'm talking about what's important. And all you want to know is if this is going to be on the final? You just don't get it. Why do I even bother? Why do I try? 
That's the kind of situation we find ourselves in this passage. The opening chapters of Luke were, were focused on signs and wonders. Jesus had healed the sick. He had cast out demons. He had raised the dead. But all of this was moving somewhere. The next section of Luke is focused on his teachings. This section we're in now, it's, it's focusing on his word. And the signs were meant to drive home uh, his authority so that when he spoke, we would listen to what he said, realizing that, that he has authority to speak and what he says is important. In other words, he considers his teaching, what he has to say, as more important than the signs and the wonders he had done. But what happens as he begins to speak? As he, as he turns to that more important work of teaching, they raise their hands and say, are there going to be more signs and wonders? And so in our passage, he addresses this desire for those signs. And his point is clear, and it's this. The faithful preaching of the word of God is more important and a greater blessing than all the signs and wonders you could experience in this life. Now, before we we really dive into his response, I'd like to spend a few minutes at least addressing how we experience similar temptations and maybe hopefully expose our need to listen to Jesus' words. See, it's always easy to listen to his rebukes and say, Go get him, Jesus! But if we don't realize that he's speaking to us as well, we're going to miss it. And then we'll look at the example of the Ninevites and the Queen of Sheba and and how Jesus holds these Gentiles up as examples to his people that should be followed. And then finally, at the end, I'd like to meditate upon his statement of where true blessing is found and the call to let his word guide our lives. That's what I'd like to do. Uh, as we look at this passage of Scripture this morning. Now, if we're honest, we'll all admit that we can relate to those who want more signs, more wonders. There's just something about those mighty acts of God that appeal to us. There are entire movements that are driven by a quest for signs and wonders. And there are those who, who claim to have the power of healings and miracles and so on, and they have crusades to draw people by the thousands in hopes of tasting of that mighty power in their lives. And some don't seek crusades, but they seek some evidence that God is active in their life, some sign they should do this, some powerful working, some healing, something undeniable that he is speaking to them, guiding them, and that they are not alone that they are special. That desire to feel special, it can take on other forms. There are many who simply want to be a part of a group that is special, a church that has grown super large, evidence of of God's blessing, or they have a charismatic leader who makes them feel like they are a part of something important on the cutting edge of God's work in this world. 
They want a gifted communicator that, that moves you so that you feel like every time you hear him, it's as if the heavens have opened up and, the, and its blessings are showering down upon you. And so we've seen the rise of celebrity pastors. How many Christians identify more with an online personality pastor than they do with a local congregation? How many would rather have a gifted communicator than a faithful preacher who might stutter or have a lisp? There's this desire in us to be a part of something special, something extraordinary. And and we tend to measure special and extraordinary in terms of size and charisma and popularity and, and our feelings. And if we can't be well-known, we at least want to be part of something that is. And that's the temptation they were facing as Jesus went from village to village. That's why they wanted signs and wonders. And that temptation is everywhere. And if we, if we don't admit it, we will be blind to it in ourselves. And I think we probably know what drives those temptations. For some, it's a desire to be dazzled. We like the amazing. We, we like the spectacular. And we hate boredom. We crave excitement. We just want to be impressed. We want God to knock our socks off. There's something in us that thinks it's His job to save us from the ordinary, the mundane, the dull, the boring. For some, it's a desire to feel important or special. If God does something special in my life, it means that I matter, that I'm not invisible, that my existence means something. And so for some, it's a quest for validation. For others, I think it's an attempt to experience religion and yet keep it at a safe distance. I don't mean a safe distance from your life. After all, they crave to be at the center of things. What I mean is uh, keep Jesus at a safe distance from their heart. So long as what matters is changing the world out there, so long as, as we are enamored with, with big personalities and, and headline-making movements, so long as we keep the focus on the group, <laughs> we can keep the focus off of my heart, my pride, my sin, my need. I think for many, the quest for, for world-changing big movements is, is actually an act of self-protection of keeping the microscope of God off their heart. So how does Jesus respond to the sign seekers? He says, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Matthew tells us Jesus also called them adulterous. Makes you scratch your head how... How can looking for a sign be an act of adultery? After all, adultery is unfaithfulness in marriage. But in a sense, it actually makes a complete sense out of what's going on here. Jesus isn't saying that signs are bad. He's done many, 
God's been doing signs for, for centuries, for millennia. Uh, chief among those signs for Israel was, was their deliverance out of Egypt through, through the plagues, the ten plagues, and the crossing of the Red Sea. God is not above signs. He's willing to do signs. But what the people are saying is, well, sure, <laughs> but what have you done for us lately? They're saying that the, the signs of the past are insufficient and they need something more to, to prove that God still deserves a place in their hearts and lives. My wonderful bride and I have been married for over 20 years. But if I said to God, if you want me to stay, stay married to her, show me a sign, that would be an act of adultery. And that's what they're saying to God. If you want us to remain faithful, if you want us to keep following you, show us something new. It's wicked. It's adulterous. And yet Jesus does say he will give them another sign, the sign of Jonah. He's referring to the sign where where Jonah remained in the belly of the fish for three days and then being, he was then spit back up onto the land. And, and he's, he's likening to this, this to his own coming death and resurrection. He, he will be crucified and he will be buried. And on the third day, the grave will spit him out like that fish spit Jonah out. And he says, if you need proof of God's love, that he thinks you're special, that you matter, that you're not invisible, What greater sign could he give you than his willingness to suffer for you? To submit to corrupt authorities. To be lied about and spit upon and mocked and beaten. And then suffer the pains of hell and the coldness of the grave. If you want to know God's power toward you, what greater sign could he give you than conquering death in the resurrection? Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friend. Why would we trade the resurrection for party tricks and trinkets? Why do we find more value in fleeting wonders than the greatest demonstration of love that this world has ever known? How often do we tell God, yes, the cross and the resurrection were great. What have you done for me? Lately. If seeking signs and wonders and the spectacular isn't the road to Jesus and the road he wants us to walk, what is? Well, he holds two examples before his hearers. The first, in verse 31, is is the Queen of the South, referring to the Queen of Sheba. Is referring to an episode in the days of King Solomon. We read about it in 1 Kings 10 and 2 Chronicles 9. The queen of Sheba, we are told, traveled a great distance to hear God's wisdom through his servant Solomon. She brought gifts and treasures to Israel. She marveled at his words and she, she marveled at his understanding and she took delight in all that she heard. And Jesus holds her up as an admirable example to be followed. 
She didn't come demanding signs and wonders. She, she traveled miles. Just to hear wisdom. Just to hear truth. When we see God's word for what it is, the truth of heaven, life-giving, irrefutable and indestructible, why do we let so much keep us from it? And so there's much we can learn from this Gentile queen of Sheba. From there, in verse 32, he turns to the response of the Ninevites to Jonah. When Jonah preached the word of God to them, their response was, was not to demand a sign, or, but, but they repented. Keep in mind, they didn't see what happened to Jonah. They don't know about the fish and, and, and all of that. They're, they're unaware of the three days in the belly. All they knew from him was his preaching. Now, lest we think that Jonah was an amazing preacher, probably with a Scottish accent or something, because that makes God's word. Uh, Let's remember, he didn't want to preach. He didn't want them to repent and find mercy. His entire sermon is recorded for us in five Hebrew words. Translated in English, this is his sermon. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Thank you, good night. It is possibly the worst sermon ever recorded in the Bible. It's safe to say that the response of the Ninevites was not due to Jonah's charisma or charm. It wasn't due to his eloquence. It was the power of of God's word. They heard it and they took it to heart and they lamented and they repented. They believed and they turned to God. And yet here are the Israelites and they have one greater than Jonah standing before them and they're ignoring him. If only they would respond like those Ninevites That's what pleases the Lord. That's the road to life. And there are two things that Jesus says to drive this home, one at the beginning and one at the end of the passage. So I wanted to hold those. So let's read verses 27 and 28, and then 33 through 36. First, verses 27 and 28. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And now verse 33 through 36. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. So first we have this passage uh, opening our our section with a woman who who hears Jesus teaching and she cries out, Blessed is the womb that bore you. 
Now, of course, Mary was blessed. That's what the angel in uh, chapter 1 said. Blessed are you. But this woman is saying something different. She's saying that Mary must be so blessed to be able to call Jesus her son to be so close to a celebrity. It's more of that same mindset that Jesus is battling. That's not what he counts as a blessing. Instead, he wants us to crave his teaching. And not from a distance, but in such a way that it, that it penetrates our hearts, pierces our conscience, and it changes our lives. If you want to be blessed, don't seek to be a part of the inner circle, part of his family, part of the show. Instead, just listen to his word. Practice what you hear. Bring your life under its scrutiny and direction. That's what the final part of our passage is all about, verses 33 through 36. Likening God's word to a lamp, he asks, what's the point of a lamp? To hide it or or to use it to give light? If your eyes look at everything in light of God's word, your whole life will walk in its light. If you simply crave signs and wonders rather than his word, you'll be stumbling about in darkness. God's words should be as essential to you as the sun. Learning everything to see, learning to see everything by its light. Learning the blessing of keeping it, not fighting against it. We spend so much of our lives miserable because we think we have a better way than God. We stumble about in darkness. We chase things that only hurt us. We avoid things that help, and then we cry out, God, why don't you love me? He says, I gave you my word. Listen to it. Because the word of God spoken on the lips of the most ineloquent person are a million times greater than lies spoken on the most gifted of speakers. You see, this passage is one of those moments where Jesus is is telling us what really matters. And he knows our temptations. He knows what the world is selling. He he knows how easy it is to get caught up in, in signs and wonders and feelings. And he wants to make sure that we understand that the sign that really matters is the sign of his love given to us in his death and his resurrection. That's what really helps us in this life. It's to hear God's word and to follow it. And yes, this will be on the final. Is it any wonder then that the sign that the Lord leaves us with every week is a picture of what he calls here the sign of Jonah, a picture of his death for us? with the reminder that he was raised on the third day. The Lord's Supper right before us keeps that greatest act of love ever before us. Lord, do I matter? What did the bread and the wine tell you? Lord, do you remember me? 
what do the bread and the wine tell you? See, the sign that really mattered in Jesus' ministry wasn't, wasn't the changing of water into wine. It wasn't, wasn't the, the raising of the widow's son. It wasn't uh, the, the casting out of demons. The sign that really mattered was that he loved us enough to lay his life down for us. Because that's where we most clearly see and know God's love for us. And yet it's a simple sign. It's not a vast banquet, a little piece of bread, a humble cup of wine. Not exactly the kind of meal we tend to want, but exactly what we need. Because in the simplicity, we're taught to see beauty in simplicity. We're we're taught to, to learn to find wonder in the ordinary. If we can see in the bread and the wine God's love for us, we we can see it also in the preaching of his word. Because God meets us not in the spectacular, but in the ordinary every day. Every week, he meets with us. Week after week, year after year, and he declares for us his love, and he promises it will never fade. Day in and day out. That's the miraculous, daily faithfulness. Faithful, unyielding, never tiring, regular, and like clockwork. That's the real wonder. That's beautiful. And please join me in prayer. Father, In our quest for the extraordinary, we have missed the miraculous reality that you are with us each day, that you care for our needs, that you never leave us and you never forsake us, and that you care for our souls. Teach us to delight in the ordinary, the day-after-day reality that, that we hold your precious word in our hands to read any time we want, that week after week we may enter into your house and worship in your presence. Help us to rediscover a sense of wonder in the ordinary, we pray. Amen.